This morning we're looking at David and Goliath, one of the um, epic stories, one of the epic events that took place in the Bible, of which there are many epic events, Just, uh, but that is truly epic. It's, um, I just think it would make an unbelievably good film, uh, David and Goliath. I mean, I, I, I saw Gladiator, which I thought was good. Um, and I, but I think that David and Goliath would be even better than that, and um, it'd be just so so good. So we're uh, we're at David and Goliath. Last week, Jason introduced us to the series, and um, this is really about a struggle of against the Philistines, and um, the Philistines were the current enemies of of Israel. They'd come across the sea, probably from the Aegean via Crete, and populated what is now known as the Gaza Strip area. And Saul was the king at the time. And he, he was anointed by God and he was chosen by, chosen by God. And the time of Saul was, it was always at war with Philistine. He reigned for 42 years, and in those 42 years, they were at war with the Philistines, non-stop. But, uh, and they just couldn't defeat them, and, they, and, uh, they, and the initial sort of war with them, before Saul became king, they, uh, Israel was apostate and got defeated by the Philistines, and they even acknowledged that... Um, the Lord defeated them. It wasn't the Philistines. They said, the Lord defeated us before the Philistines. And, uh, and they, they had a sort of conflab about it and thought, well, what was wrong? Well, where did we go wrong? Basically, Israel was apostate. You know, they were, they were embracing other gods. They were, they, they were going their own way. And they said, oh, I know what it is. We didn't have the ark. So they sent back to Shiloh to get the ark and they thought, well, everything will be fine now. We've got the ark. But they were treating the ark like a lucky charm like this sort of super nuclear weapon that was going to do all the fight all their battles for them you know the lord would inhabit their battle and um lo and behold they got thrashed again and uh, the philistines stole well they they, they captured the ark and uh, they took it to uh, their main t- main city and uh, basically they suffered their, uh, their, their God was, um, he fell over on his face and he had his head cut off and his arms cut off. And uh, then they, they sort of moved the ark around their town. Well, we don't want it. It's a bit of a trouble. And they ended up with a load of um, tumors and a rat or a mouse infestation. And they said, well, look, we've got to give this thing back. It's not doing us any good. So they sent it back to Israel and, um, and it ended up at some guy's house called Abdinamad, I think his name is, and uh, there it remained for, uh, for years and it didn't actually return to uh, the capital city or to the, um, the tent the, um, where, where God resided for 40 years, so it stayed away. Now, that sort of gives us, that brings us to uh, David and Goliath, that brings us to the valley of uh, Elor where um, the two armies are in confrontation with one another. On one side, you've got the uh, Philistine army of the valley, and then on the other side of the valley, you've got the, um, 
Israeli army, the Israelites. And uh, things have moved on apace since then. Saul is now the king of Israel, but he's sinned and he is no longer has the Holy Spirit. He was anointed of God. He was full of the Holy Spirit. But because of his sin, the Holy Spirit was taken away from him. And so therefore they had a king who was not full of the Holy Spirit. The Philistines also realized that they didn't have the ark at that time with them because, he was, he, because the ark was elsewhere. And so the Philistines, they moved into this area of Israel and they moved into a corner of Israel and they were determined to take it. They were determined to put Israel into captivity. They were determined to subjugate and defeat Israel. Not only would they have a big army, they also had what they considered an ace up their sleeve, a rather large ace up their sleeve. They had a giant called Goliath on their side. And Goliath had also had four brothers, but there was only one giant here. And uh, if you look at, the, um, look at the description of him, he was between nine foot and ten foot tall. So that is, that is a giant by anybody's standards. So he's, a, he's a large chap, and he, if he was around today, he would have an NBA contract because he would be an ace basketball player. And, uh, and he had equipment commensurate with his size. The Bible goes into a large description of, you know, that he was in plate armor, scale armor. He had a big helmet on his head and he had, um, you know, sort of great big um, things over his shins, like sort of great big um, bronze shin pads. And he had a spear that was massive and a javelin on his back. And he also had uh, a guy that helped him, a shield bearer, who also bore his sword and his shield. So he, he was a big intimidating person but giants were no surprise to Israel they'd come up against giants before and they defeated giants before Joshua slew killed the three sons of Anak so giants were not new to them they had confronted giants before and the Lord had delivered them before but this time it was different they didn't remember they didn't remember, they forgot. They were just consumed by the physical sight of what was going on. And that is why testimony is so important. We need to remember what God has done. Because what has God has done before, God can do again. But God can also do a new thing. And he may do something a slightly different way. But God, remember. So we, our testimony can strengthen us can lift us up and we need to remember the victories that God has led us in. So each morning and evening for 40 days, Goliath came out. He strode out into the valley in front of the army and he issued a challenge that if you fight me, if you have a champion who will fight me, if you beat me, if you prevail, we will become your slaves and um, you will be victorious. But if we beat you, you will become our slaves. And what happened was the, um, the men, the, the soldiers of Israel saw him and evaporated. They ran back into the camp. They were, uh, they were scared. They were frightened. He said, I defy the ranks of Israel. He stood there in his full gear. King Saul and the army were just 
their faith had gone, their courage had gone, their bravery and strength were stripped away. And that is what bullies and giants try to do to us. They try to intimidate and make us seem small and insignificant. And that is what he did to the whole of the Israel army. There wasn't a man in that army that was willing to stand and fight him on a one-to-one basis. So that is the strategy of the devil. That's what he does. He tries to intimidate us. He wants you to think you are powerless. He wants you to think you are insignificant and that you have no power and there's nothing you can do about a situation. So you let that situation prevail. And in that situation may, may get worse. But the reality is different. God lives in us we have the spirit of god upon us within us and we have to remember that he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world so do we need to start believing that each one of us is a giant killer he may be a lot taller than you he may be a bit bigger than you he may shout a lot louder than you but you are a giant killer so earlier Israel demanded a king. They rejected God as their leader and they wanted a king. They wanted a king so that they would be like other nations. They wanted a king, and it says uh, in 1 Samuel 8, 20, that they wanted a king that might judge them, lead them in other words, and go out before us and fight our battles. So Saul was the man that should have gone out there and should have fought the battle for them. Now, Saul wasn't a small person. The Bible tells us that he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. So he was a tall man. He wasn't nine foot, but he was a tall man. He was of good stature. You know, he was a good soldier. He was a very competent soldier. But uh, the Holy Spirit had been taken away from him. And he lacked courage and he lacked bravery he should have been leading and he was um, as something I was reading said he was put he was sitting at his desk pushing paper clips around thinking how we're we going to deal with this situation it says that he was dismayed and greatly afraid in verse 11 now we moving moving swiftly on we got we've got Jesse father of David and he had eight sons Three were in the army, and he wanted to check on the welfare of his sons. So he sent David with food from home. I can imagine that food in the field wasn't that good. So he wanted to make sure, you know, that they had some, some good food from home. And so uh, he bought them some cheese and some bread and other things. And uh, when you think, according to the law, to be in the army, you had to be 20 years of age. So... If David was one of eight, there were three brothers in the army, so they were all over 20. So that meant that if you look do the maths on it, David's around 15 years of age, 15, 16 at this time. So he was, uh, he wasn't considered a man at this time. But it transpires that on the 40th day of the challenge, David was there. He saw the army lined up in the battle array and he went and joined his brothers and he wanted to greet them and say hello. He heard the challenge from Goliath. 
Now, earlier, Saul had said, whoever, he sort of shirking his responsibility, he tried to give an incentive to people. Well, you know, if we, I'll give an incentive, you know, a bonus if anybody kills this guy. And he said, um, he said, if anybody prevails and kills him, he can have my daughter and you can live tax-free along with your whole family for the rest of your life. Now, that's quite a considerable um, incentive. But no, nobody was brave enough to take up that uh, financial incentive. Now, David hears of the substantial reward but was more concerned about the honor of God and the reputation of Israel. The other soldiers referred to, when they're talking about Goliath, they were sort of skirting around the issue. They were talking about this man. But David hits the nail on the head and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Or, in my language, who does he think he is challenging the Lord God of the angel armies? I think today we're very, um, we're very concerned that we don't um, offend people and we're very PC, so we tend to skirt round issues and don't call things as they really are. You know, it was sort of, if we talk about this man, it's not as, it's not as bad. But David's saying, look at who, who he is. He's unclean. He is unclean. He is unholy. He is uncircumcised Philistine. David was indignant. David, you know, full of, he'd been, remember, he'd been anointed by God and he was full of the Spirit of God. David cares about what God cares about. He saw the situation in a spiritual dynamic, he saw it as it was. We should be the same. We should be concerned about honoring God, concerned about the reputation of the church. These are the things we should be con concerned about. Many do not honour God. They misuse his word. They preach uh, not the full counsel of God. They teach falsely. The flock is misled and bring his church into disrepute. We shy back at times when we're in our, in our daily lives from um, when, um, when you hear things that uh, challenge God, that bring, uh, bring him into disrepute. Sin is permitted and wickedness prevails. We need to be people that burn, our hearts burn for his righteousness. The church needs to be burning in a righteous way. We, don't, we mustn't be people that are fearful of man, what man can say. When I think of the church, the church is meant to be a spotless, blemish-free bride of Christ. It isn't meant to be some sort of cut-price Primark bride with a shabby dress. It's meant that the bride is meant to be absolutely glorious and beautiful. And we are part of, we are part of that bride. We are. And so we, you know, the church needs to live, needs to be glorious. The ecclesia, that is us. We, you know, we need to be righteous. We need to be full of the Spirit of God. And uh, that is what the church needs to be. But his brother, Eliab, hears David's words and he is angry. He's not at all happy. I give you a few reasons why. Firstly, he is passive. He's just letting the situation rock on. He's, he's, 
he accepts the situation. There is no cause as far as he's concerned. The enemy might take a small bite and the enemy sees, well, there's no real opposition. The situation calms down, people begin to accept the situation. Then the enemy takes another might. He takes a further advance because nobody challenged the enemy on the first in the first instance. So he keeps on, keeps on taking bits of ground until such time you think, hang on, the enemy's in possession of 40, 50% of what was our territory. This was unacceptable. This land was part of Israel's inheritance. You have an inheritance that the devil, that the enemy wants to take. He wants to stop you from moving fully into your inheritance. And we need to stand up to him and defeat him. This land belonged to the people of God. We need to contest for our inheritance. Oh, I've got most of it. It doesn't matter about that bit. Yes, it does matter about that bit. Aliab may have felt guilty that he hasn't taken on Goliath and feels accused by David's statements. He considers David insignificant and worthless. At the time of David's anointing, when David was in the fields and the other brothers had all been rejected by God. When they said, well, is there not another brother? The, um, it was said, that, well, there is another one, yeah, but he's the, um, he's, the sort of, he's the runt of the family. He's the small, insignificant one. And that is how David was considered. And that is sometimes how we are considered, but that is not the truth. That's how people may see you and may want to, they want to keep you in place by saying, well, you're small and insignificant, you've got no influence. But you have, because you have the Holy Spirit within you. He was also subject to false accusation. He was told, that, he said, well, you've left the sheep unattended, just go back and go that. He hadn't left the sheep unattended, he'd left a carer looking after the sheep. So expect to be falsely accused when you challenge them. But be wise, don't leave room for, for, for accusation. Lastly, he knew David was right. And he experienced defensive behavior from him because he, this Eliab knew in his heart of hearts that he was right, that there was a challenge here that needed to be met. An expression of truth sometimes exposes our guilty feelings and we get defensive about it and we give all number of reasons why we haven't um, dealt with it. And how often do we find discouragement not from the enemy camp but from within our own ranks? People that would say, well, no, come on, let's calm down. We don't need to get excited about this. But we actually do need to get excited by this. We do need to make a stand. There could be any number of things where we need to stand up and we need to stop being passive. David responds, not quite understanding, I think, why um, they don't see the situation as he does. It's, it's quite clear to me. He said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? What a question. Is there not a cause? I can think of a few. The sanctity of life, both at the beginning and the end of life, is being challenged. People want to increase, you know, abortion up to um, birth. 
the first six months of um, this year, no, sorry, last year, because the stats aren't out fully, there were a record number of abortions in this country. So it's increasing every, every year. Also, people want to introduce euthanasia. You know, it's sort of, it's all dressed up as a sort of, um, you know, as a kindly act. The sanctity of marriage is being changed, has been changed, and uh, we'll, we'll continue. Uh, you know, there's an example of where a bite has been taken out of something that we, um, we hold dear. And it won't stop where, you know, it won't stop where it is now. It will continue. It will just continue to de denigrate marriage and change it, change its whole complexion. The sanctity of the church is body on earth. As I said, the bride is meant to be spotless and blemish-free. But these things, these are, these are causes. And I believe they're, they're just three or four causes that came off the top of my head. You will have individual causes. You will have things that God gives you, that he puts a cause in your life. What is it? What is the cause in your life? What is he speaking to you about that he wants you to stand up? He wants you to pray about. He wants you to prophesy about. What is it? David's words were overheard and reported to Saul. David said to Saul, boy of 15, quite, you know, attractive, probably not over tall. Saul, very tall. I'll go and fight this Philistine and save the honour of Israel. Saul was thinking, oh, that could be my answer. And he's rationalizing in his mind a young lad of 15 fighting a well-trained warrior, a brute of a giant who could probably crush David in his hand. But he was thinking purely in the flesh. The battle would be won in the heavenly realms, not in the flesh. David was a man of God, fully anointed, a worshiper and a warrior who had protected his sheep from the lion the bear and the wolves. He'd gone up close and personal with a lion and rescued a sheep from its, from its mouth. He'd been in training. He didn't know what he'd been in training, but he was in training. But he knew now his time approached. And finally, he knew the presence of the Lord. And he knew that he took him into the battle because he knew that the Lord delivered him. The Lord was with him when he was defending his sheep. And he knew that he would be with him when he was taken on Goliath. Stall, at four, even Saul, was still thinking in the flesh, trying to equip David with his equipment, trying to put, you know, his armour on, give him a sword, give him a big hat and boots and that sort of thing. And I imagine it would look like somebody who'd gone to the dressing up box and taken these things out that were sort of six sizes too big. And he was probably sort of walking around a bit like this, thinking, this isn't going to work for me. And he said, no, thank you. Thank you very much, sir, but I'll stick with my, the kit that I'm trained in. I am not trained in this. So David picked up his stick, useful weapon, sling, and went to a nearby brook to collect five stones. The scene was set. So here we are on that 40th day. And I just want to sort of bit of preacher's license here, paint a quick picture here of the scene. I don't think it was just David and Goliath facing off with one another and then everybody else went away. 
I think both armies would have been there behind their champion. There'd be thousands of men in full battle array. Tension was high. Especially on the side of Israel. Because many of them probably knew who was fighting on their, side, on their behalf. The Philistines were not so much. Because they had that big chap. They had complete confidence in the big chap. And they were confident. The Philistine army sort of opened up and outstrode Goliath with his shield bearer. Nero, the sun was beating down and just glinting off his armor as he walked across. And then he stood there, massive. At the same time, the Israeli army split, and this 15 year old boy in a tunic, in sandals, bag across his shoulder and a stick walked out to confront Goliath. Utterly ridiculous situation. But that's what happened. And he walked out. There's no one else, just this young lad on his own, but looking strangely confident and not at all fearful. There was uproar amongst the ranks of the Philistines. They couldn't believe their eyes. Surely this day Israel will be vanquished for good. And they would have many new slaves, rich spoil and good lands. On the side of Israel they tried to raise a cheer but it somehow wasn't bathed in the confidence they hoped. Then Goliath lifted his spear and silence reigned across the valley. Goliath shouted across to David calling him a dog, which actually is an insult of like being a male prostitute. You're sending a boy. A boy affronted his manhood. He was a big warrior, probably killed hundreds of people, sneering at him, almost as if he wasn't worth the effort of killing. David, full of the Spirit of God. I'll just uh, read this from here. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I will give you... I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and, all, and that all this assembly may know that the God does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The battle belongs to the Lord. What does it mean? David was resting on the promises of God. We too can rest on the promises of God. He was likely referring to Deuteronomy 20, where God established the foundational principle for Israel going to war. That he would deliver them, as he did when he took them out of Egypt. That other and other adversaries, would, he would continue to, develop, to deliver them from the hands of their enemies always subject to them retaining, remaining in covenant with, with him. 
David declared the source of his power. It wasn't the spear and the javelin, but the name of the Lord. It is God that determines the outcome of the battle, which David believed was a victory for him. But David still had to fight. The battle may belong to the Lord, but he still uses us, each one of us, to bring to fight for his cause. But the outcome is determined by the, God, by the Lord. We still have to fight. We, there are giants for us. There are other situations that we need to fight. David moved closer. Uh, Goliath moved closer to David. But David ran towards Goliath. He wasn't, he wasn't scared. He wasn't frightened. He ran towards him. In almost the same movement, as he was running, he put his hand in his pouch, took out a stone, took his sling and sling it round and, and fired it. And it hit Goliath full in the forehead and buried, the stone buried in his, um, his forehead. And he fell forward. David ran up to him. And uh, David had no sword, but he took Goliath's sword and held up, uh, held up the sword, cut off his head and held up his head as a trophy. At this, the whole of the Israel army charged forwards and uh, as the Philistines receded and as they retreated and they retreated in disarray and the army took, took them and, and uh, killed many of them. Now, the, the point is here is that he held up the head. That is a trophy. That is like a word of testimony. And uh, he, um, and the head he took, took to Jerusalem because not everybody was there. And he took the head, and that was that was testimony. Look what us, look what our Lord has done. And our testimony is so so important. The head went to Jerusalem and he showed the people. So the people knew that there God reigned. This is what God can do. His victory can be your victory. Your testimony can be someone else's victory. You can, it can encourage, it can lead people into victory. Your testimony is a powerful, powerful thing. And finally, I just want to, to you to remember this. David, in all his weakness as a 15-year-old boy against a, um, a mighty warrior, in 1 Corinthians 1, 27, it says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to put the wise to shame. He chose the weak things of this world to put the powerful to shame. It is not, we needn't be ashamed of our weakness, of who we are. The world might see, say you're weak, you're useless, you're insignificant. But with God inside of us, that is not who we are. Our true identity is that we are God's representative. We are his, um, we are his ambassadors. And wherever we stand, because we have the Holy Spirit within us, because we have Jesus within us, we represent him, and at the land we stand on is holy, and it is good, and we are a powerful, powerful people when we realize our true identity as a warrior of God that can bring down giants. Amen.